Thanks, Matt. Well, as we uh, press on and continue our series in money, today I want to think with you about giving. Uh, and I know that as soon as I say that, for some of us, the anxiety rises, uh, doesn't it? Uh, it's almost palpable. Uh, for some of us, uh, talks on giving can feel a little bit like trips to the dentist, you know what I mean? It's like you kind of know they're good for you, but you also dread them a little bit. And so when they finally do come, you sort of sit there in your chair just waiting for the bad news. Uh, now, if that's uh, not your giving, uh, sorry, your, your experience of giving talks, at least you now know how I feel about the dentist, so we can talk about that later. But I suspect it will be the case for some of us. Uh, maybe you've actually had the anxiety building for some weeks now. You know, you heard we were doing a talk on, or a series on money, and it builds, and then last week we talked about being rich towards God, and then Matt talked about pledging, and you're sitting there going, he's about to tell me I need root canal. If that's not how you're feeling, or if that is how you're feeling, uh, I want you to just come with me and just have a look at what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 9, 7. 2 Corinthians 9, 7. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Read that word again. God loves a cheerful giver. Not a reluctant giver, not a compelled giver, but a cheerful giver. At Grace City, anxiety-fueled, guilt-driven giving is not how God wants you to give. It may be how the world gives, it's possibly how you've given in the past, but it's not the model for Christian generosity. And so feel free, if you need to, just to take a couple of deep breaths and let the anxiety out. Guilt given, fear inspired, reluctant giving is not the plan. That's not what God wants for us. Instead, as we're going to see today, God does want us to give. He, he wants us to be generous people. But as we're going to see from God's word, he, he wants our generosity to be fueled by his grace, cheerful, and reap an abundant harvest. Now, if you're sitting there thinking, wow, you know, God's got a lot of work to do in me before I'm going to be able to give like that, uh, you may be right. But in some ways, I, I suppose I want to encourage you, your situation may not be all that different from the Corinthians. See, uh, we're going to look at 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 today. It's the longest and most sustained teaching on giving in the whole Bible. When Paul first wrote it, uh, the Christians in the kind of Jerusalem and Judea were going through some hard times, possibly a famine, they're struggling with poverty. And so Paul goes to the Gentile churches and actually tries to raise some support for the Jewish Christians in Judea. And so he, he, he goes to some of these churches and... The Corinthians were one of those churches he, he approached. And to begin with, they were quite excited about supporting the Christians in Judea. Uh, we, there's sort of some indication that they actually gave in the first round to support these people. But a year or two on, the enthusiasm has started to wane a little bit. Uh, so much so that Paul is sort of a little concerned that uh, they're going to start giving reluctantly at best, and maybe even not at all. And so... In these two chapters that we're going to look at, uh, Paul is seeking to gently, and as you'll see, sometimes not so gently, uh, provoke and stir within the Corinthians uh, both a willingness but also a cheerfulness uh, to give generously. Now, uh, we're not going to have the time to cover all the details in the chapter, uh, so instead of kind of going through every verse, 
This morning, what I want to try and do is just draw out for us three lessons on the nature of cheerful generosity. Three lessons on the nature of cheerful generosity. And what we're going to see is that cheerful generosity is fueled by God's grace. It's a grace we need to grow in. And it's also something that reaps an abundant harvest. I'll give all of those to you again as we go through. So if you didn't catch them, don't worry. But first of all, cheerful generosity is fueled by God's grace. It's fueled by God's grace. So let's, let's just bring up 2 Corinthians 9 verse 7 again. Each one must give as is decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. God loves a cheerful giver. God loves a cheerful giver. So, so, so cheerfulness is the goal. What if you don't like giving, though? It's a bit like telling your kids, I want you to be cheerful about your vegetables. Now, some kids love their vegetables, but a lot don't. For some people, generosity can feel a little the same way. How do you enjoy something that you don't particularly like? Well, the first thing Paul highlights in chapter 8 is that cheerful giving is a gift of God's grace. In other words, cheerfulness does not originate in the heart of the giver, but in the heart of God. God gives the grace to be cheerful in our generosity. And so come with me, I'll show this to you, 2 Corinthians 8 verse 1. Paul begins, he says, And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Now, if that was the only verse we had, uh, you might look at grace and go, well, he's probably talking about you know, their salvation, the forgiveness of their sins. It's kind of how the Bible often speaks of grace. You know, Ephesians 2, uh, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. So is that what it's talking about, grace of salvation? Well, it's interesting to note where Paul goes next. Because having spoken of the grace God's given the Macedonians, in verse 2, he carries on, in the midst of a very severe trial, their overwhelming joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. It's a fascinating kind of sandwich between severe trial and extreme poverty. You have, what is it, overflowing joy. Now, the Macedonian churches were the Philippians, the Thessalonians, and the Bereans. And we know from Acts 16 and 17 that when Paul came there and preached the gospel, the, and a bunch of them got converted, the converts all of a sudden became under quite severe uh, uh, pressure and uh, attack from the Jews around them. And so it's in that context, that quite a severe trial together with extreme poverty, that they've actually bubbled up and overflowed in cheerful generosity. You get a sense of how cheerful they were from where Paul goes next. He says, For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, actually even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. These guys are so cheerful, they gave beyond their ability. In other words, beyond what you might reasonably expect of these people, even to the, to the point of maybe being a little reckless and irresponsible. Likewise, Paul says, they pleaded with us for the privilege. Uh, part of me wonders whether uh, Paul didn't ask the Macedonians first time round because maybe you know, he, he knew that they were poor and so he didn't want to burden them. 
I'm just, I don't know if that's right. But either way, they didn't see giving as a burden. They saw it as a privilege. And so they begged Paul for the opportunity to do so. Which is just not normal, is it? You ever begged someone? It's not normal. And yet, in some ways, that's Paul's whole point. Because this crazy, cheerful generosity was not driven by the Macedonians' guilt or even by the goodness of their own heart. Rather, it was the product of God's grace in their life. Again, verse 1. I want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Uh, one of the privileges of being in my role over the years is that I've actually just had a number of wonderfully encouraging conversations uh, with cheerful givers. Sometimes it's people wanting to you know, support the ministry, or sometimes it's people wanting to kind of support our members. Uh, there's no one demographic of person, uh, certainly no kind of one net wealth that you have to be in to have these conversations. But the, the consistent thing I've noticed over the year is the cheer. In other words, these people never come to me and say, fine, like, you got me, where do I write the check? As if anyone writes a check these days. But, but, it, but it's, it's often more something like, hey, I've been praying about it, and I'd really like to be more generous. Are there any people, are, are there any programs that I or, or we can support and get behind? Gracie, I've got to say, that, those are some of the most encouraging conversations in my ministry. Why? Because they're so clearly supernatural. People wanting to be generous. People not giving under compulsion or reluctantly, but doing so cheerfully. That's not normal. That's a gift of God's grace. Now, it's worth saying, by the way, if you're among us as, as someone who is able to give cheerfully, can I encourage you not to be led to pride or self-righteousness about that? Because again, the whole thing is, it's a gift of God's grace. So praise God that you're able to give so cheerfully and generously. But suppose we also ask, well, does that mean that this grace only comes to some Christians? So, for example, were the Corinthians supposed to hear about the Macedonians and go, well, that's great for them. You know, God's given them this grace, but he hasn't given me this grace. Maybe even they somewhat cheekily think, yes, we didn't get the grace. <laughs> like, is that how it works? Is the grace that enables cheerful generosity only given to some Christians? Well, I don't think so. You see, if you scroll forward, we're jumping ahead into chapter 9 now, to 2 Corinthians 9 verse 8, which is the verse that comes immediately after Paul encourages them to give cheerfully. This is what he says. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Paul tells the Corinthians, God is able to make grace abound to you. To what effect? Well, he speaks of having sufficiency in all things. That word sufficiently is elsewhere translated contentment, which if you think about it, is kind of essential ingredient for generosity, cheerfully. It's hard to be cheerfully generous if you're not content with what you have. And so, therefore, Paul is telling the Corinthians, this gift of grace and the contentment it brings it's not just the given to the Macedonians. God is able to give it to you, Corinthians, as well, so that you too can abound in every good work just like them. In fact, and this is the last verse I'll quote for you just on this little section, 
Paul is so confident that God is going to give them this grace that he actually projects or imagines a time in the future where the recipients of the Corinthian generosity are praising God for the generosity of the Corinthians. Look what he says. It's in verse 14 of chapter 9. It says, And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Now, that word surpassing is the Greek word, I'm never very good at Greek, but hupabalo. Hupabalo. It's where we get hyperbolic from. In other words, Paul is telling the Corinthians, God is going to give you hyperbolic grace, over-the-top, extravagant, lavish grace, bigger than anything you can imagine. Why? Well, it's going to help you to become cheerfully generous. And so, Grace City, it may be that as you're sitting here, uh, you feel like cheerful generosity uh, seems a long way off for you. Maybe even feels like it'd be impossible, but perhaps you look at the Macedonians in your own life. You know, the people that you know, because we all know people like this, don't we? People who just seem to have this supernatural ability to be cheerful and generous. They're amazing people. Maybe you look at them in your own life and think, I, I could never be like that. They're just a different breed. In some ways, you're right, because in your own strength, you, you actually can't do it. But what Paul is telling us here is, is that cheerful generosity does not come from our own strength. Rather, it is the gift of God. It originates not in our strength, but in the heart of God. And so he gives it freely and hyperbolically to his people. And so uh, even if today, you know, this conversation at least begins by feeling a little like root canal, uh, fear not. Because with God's help, the day may come where you are someone else's Macedonian. You are someone, you for others are their model of cheerful generosity. So number one, cheerful generosity is fueled by God's grace. Secondly, though, cheerful generosity is a grace to grow in. It's a grace to grow in. So you might have been listening to that last point and found yourself thinking, all right, Tim, but like, what am I supposed to do with that? If cheerful giving is a gift of God's grace, does that mean I kind of just have to wait for him to give it to me before I'm generous? And if he doesn't give me the grace, does that mean I don't have to be generous? Well, again, it's, it's interesting to note where Paul goes next. Because he goes on and says, uh, So we urge Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we've kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. That's interesting, isn't it? On the one hand, the cheerful giving of the Macedonians was a gift of grace, and so it's something that God is ultimately responsible for. On the other hand... It's also a grace that Paul tells the Corinthians to bring to completion, to strive to excel in and to give focused attention to. In other words, Paul doesn't let the Corinthians, or us for that matter, off the hook. Instead, uh, we can't put the burden on God and say, all right, God, well, I'll be cheerfully generous when you're generous with your grace to me. No, no, no. He says, 
give focused attention to growing in the grace. And so we say, all right, well, how does one grow in the grace of giving? How do you do that? Well, Paul's answer seems to be start giving. Uh, have a look. This is where he goes next. 2 Corinthians 8, 10 to 11. He says, and here is my judgment about what is best for you in this matter. Last year, you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work. In other words, give, so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it. And then he importantly adds, according to your means. It's not rocket science. It tells them, all right, I want you to grow in the grace of giving. How? Well, complete the work. Give according to your means. You know, it's like running. How do you get better at running? You go running. How do you get better at giving? You give. But suppose you say, well, yeah, but, but what if they couldn't do it cheerfully? Like, did they just push through it? Because doesn't Paul say God loves a cheerful giver? In fact, Tim, didn't you once tell me that if I can't give cheerfully to church, I shouldn't give? I guess it depends when you join church. <laughs> uh, for a number of years at On Board, I do a, a very short giving talk, and I kind of use this, you know, God loves a cheerful giver verse to give that talk. It's interesting, in the early days, I used to say, if you can't give cheerfully, don't give. If you can't give cheerfully, don't give. And to be honest with you, I kind of liked saying that because it felt quite winsome as a pastor. It felt almost a little bit edgy. You're like, weird. <laughs> but what strikes me about Paul in these chapters is that he never says that. In fact, he actually borders. He actually does the exact opposite thing. Let me just try and take you through this real quick. Uh, I'll, I'll cite three examples. 2 Corinthians 8.8. 8. It says, I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. Uh, he says something similar in 8.24. Uh, he's just outlined that he's sending Titus and two others to go and collect uh, the, the offertory or the giving. And then in 24, he says, Therefore, show these men the proof of your love. And the reason for our pride in you, so that the churches can see it. And, and this last one, and it's, it'll make you feel uncomfortable if you haven't read it already, uh, but it's kind of his most pointed one. Uh, in 9, 3 to 4, he says, I'm sending the brothers in order that our boasting about you in this matter should not prove hollow, but that you may be ready as I said you would be. For if any Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we not to say anything about you, would be ashamed of having been so confident. You don't get the impression he's trying to be winsome and edgy, do you? <laughs> it's kind of full on. Now, yes, uh, he does stop short of commanding them. That's clear. But he also kind of makes it pretty clear that at least in his mind, there's only one right option for them. So what do you make of that? How do you feel about that? I suspect some of us will kind of feel a little bit, you know, find it off-putting. Uh, maybe you think he's being manipulative, a little underhanded. Uh, to be honest, uh, I understand the sentiment. I, I do think it's too harsh. But even if you read his words in like the most generous light, 
surely there's still a part of you, I've been thinking this, it feels a little counterproductive, doesn't it? How are the Corinthians going to be cheerful if they feel like Paul has pushed them into it? I've been wrestling with that all week. But I wonder if it's because Paul knows that this is the only way that they are going to learn. In that sense, he's acting a little bit like an athletics coach or a sports coach. You see, the best sports coaches are those who can see potential within their athletes and they know how to bring it out of them. And so sometimes that will involve getting them to do things that they don't love in the moment, but they know that in the long run will actually turn them more and more into the kind of athletes they can be. And so even if it hurts a little, in the long run it builds muscle, it builds capacity, it draws out the potential that the coach sees in them. Uh, This may seem a little strange to say, but I wonder if Paul sees untapped grace in the Corinthians. As if he can see their potential, he can see the kind of people God wants them to be and can enable them to be. And so he's trying to just push them a little, to, to nudge them a little, to lean into that grace so that they might actually become the people the generous people God wants for them. See, look, look. the reason I say all this is, look with me at 2 Corinthians 8, 9. This has come right after Paul says, look, I'm not commanding you. Then he goes, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Now, I used to assume that that verse was mainly speaking of an intellectual knowledge, as if to say, you, got, you, you guys know the, the grace, right? You know the gospel, don't you? Well, you know, Jesus was generous, so you should be generous too. There may be something in that, but I wonder if it's almost more experiential, as if to say, guys, you've tasted the grace. You've drunk from that well. You are spiritually rich because Christ, who was rich, became poor so that you could become rich. So don't just sit back and wait for God to give you grace. You know the grace. You have the grace. So lean into it and start to uh, put that grace to work in your life. So where does that leave us? Are we supposed to, well, don't give if you can't give cheerfully, so I'll just wait until God works a grace in my life and I feel like I can give cheerfully. Do we just wait? Or do we push through the pain, so to speak, the reluctance sometimes, and give, trusting that as we do, God will make us more cheerful? Which is it? Well, again, Paul tells the Corinthians, I want you to try and excel. You excel in so much. See if you can excel in the grace of giving. That, that does seem to imply a growth and an improvement and a, and a, a movement. And so I think uh, the principle of growing in grace would imply that we we constantly seek to stretch ourselves, believing that as we do, God will give us more grace. And so again, it's it's like going to the gym. It's like in the context of an athlete training. If you're only starting out, start with something small or, or at least manageable. Now, it needs to be challenging or else then you're not building muscle, are you? You can't just go to the gym and just do airlifts. I think that's good for toning, but it doesn't... Well, I don't know. Anyway... I've got, the, uh, <laughs> I've got the personal trainer down here going, you totally got that wrong. Um, anyway, uh, but as you're seeking to build muscle, uh, you know, do manageable. Paul says you can't give what you don't have, so give in proportion what you do have. 
but then over time, seek to increase it. You know, maybe a percent or two or a little bit more if you can handle it. And, and then tap into the grace, of, lean into the grace of God as you seek to build the muscle of cheerful generosity in your life. So number one, cheerful generosity, it is fueled by it. It's a gift of God's grace, but then Paul seems to suggest it's a grace we need to grow in, to walk in and seek to excel in. Third, and finally, cheerful generosity reaps an abundant harvest. Uh, cheerful generosity reaps an abundant harvest. Uh, into, uh, so far, we've, we've, we've spent a lot of time thinking about the inputs to cheerful generosity without thinking much about the outputs. So let's do a bit of that because that's where Paul goes at the end of this uh, section, 2 Corinthians 9. Suppose that uh, we are able to give cheerfully and generously. What should we expect to see? Well, uh, Paul begins in verse 6 of chapter 9. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Uh, we saw this a couple of weeks back from Proverbs, right? Generosity, it's a bit like farming. If you hold on to your seed and you never sow it in the ground, you're not going to get much of a harvest. On the other hand, if you sow the seed freely and generously, hold only onto what you need to survive, then you can expect to receive an abundant harvest. Paul says generosity is the same. Generous giving reaps an abundant harvest. But again, what's the fruit in this harvest? What kind of harvest are we talking about here? Well, uh, in the rest of chapter 9, Paul lists, I think, at least five things that you can expect to reap, five fruits that you can expect to reap from generous and cheerful giving. Let me take them through. Uh, number one is more grace to be content. More grace to be content. Uh, we touched on this a little before, so I won't major on it. But in verse 8, Paul says, and God, I'm using the ESV, by the way, uh, just for this one. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. I said before, that word sufficient is often translated content. And so Paul, Paul is saying, the more generously we give, the more generous God will be with his grace to enable us to be content. Uh, I suspect, suspect the opposite is true. As well, by the way, uh, if you find yourself struggling with contentment, always wanting more and more and more, uh, could part of the reason be because you're not generous? It seems to be the, the more we give, the more grace God gives us to be content with what we have. Food for thought. Second fruit of sowing generously is more seed for sowing. More seed for sowing. Uh, have a read of what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 9 verse 10 to 11. It says, Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. Now please don't stone me for this, but it's hard to see how the store of their seed could refer to anything other than their material wealth. That's the whole metaphor that he's been using. And likewise, when Paul speaks of being enriched in every way, it does seem like at least one of the ways, not the only way, but at one of the ways seems to be in terms of seed that they can then sow again. And now again, because I know that's kind of controversial, 
Uh, I'm just going to hide behind a Bible commentator who says the same thing. Um, this is Colin Cruz. This is from his Tyndale commentary series on uh, the book of 2 Corinthians. He says, in this context, the meaning seems to be that God will multiply the material resources of the Corinthians. And as they use them to meet the needs of the Judean Christians, he will increase the effect of that righteous deed. Now, we're playing in dangerous territory. And so this teaching can very easily and quickly be distorted. So, for example, uh, during the week I saw a clip of Kenneth Copeland. Uh, he's kind of an infamous prosperity preacher. And right before they took up the offering in the church service, he says, All right, everyone, now's a chance for you to increase your income. That's not what Paul is saying, just so we're clear. He's not telling them to give generously so that they can get a higher income. He's telling them that if they prove themselves faithful with what God has given them now, sowing it generously, they may well find that God entrusts them with more to keep sowing generously. But they're two very different things. The first is about you getting richer. The other is about you giving richly. Uh, Randy Alcorn says, God does not give us more to increase our standard of living. He gives us more to increase our standard of giving. But it does seem clear that Paul at least seems to think that is one of the fruits you might expect to, to harvest as you sow a generous seed. Third one is thanksgiving and praise to God. Thanksgiving and praise to God. So more of it. Read with me 2 Corinthians 9. He says, Through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God. Notice not once, not twice, but three times Paul describes the result of the generosity of the Corinthians as other people thanking and praising God. It's interesting, they're not thanking the giver, or at least maybe if we put that slightly more accurately, uh, the human giver, but the divine giver, the one who's given them the grace to give cheerfully in the first place, the originator of it all, is the one who gets the thanks and the praise. Uh, I first learnt this dynamic um, when I was invited to go and speak at a supporters event for Geneva Push. Geneva Push, I think they've changed their name now, but it's a church planting organisation that was quite helpful for Emma and I in the early days of church as we were trying to get off the ground. Anyway, I was invited to speak at this supporters breakfast. And so I, I told the story of church and then, then I said to, I still remember, I remember saying something along the lines of, on behalf of everyone uh, like planters and others that you've helped, thank you so much for your generosity. That seemed like the right thing to do. But after the event, one of the most generous donors to the organisation took me aside and said, don't thank me, don't thank us, thank God. Because God is the one who's given us the money and he's the one who's given us the grace to give it generously. Now, I honestly at the time thought he was splitting hairs. Oh, you know, thanking God, thanking you. What's the difference? But it's stuck with me ever since. And so if you're perceptive, if you've noticed, whenever I give a finance update at church, you may have noticed I never thank you for giving to church. I always tell you how thankful to God we are for your generosity. 
It's a slight difference, but I think it's helpful because, Grace City, when we sow generously, the harvest we're seeking to reap is not praise and thanks for ourselves, but praise and thanks to God. And Paul says the more we do it, the more praise and thanks goes to God. Fourth, more people's needs being met. More people's needs being met. 2 Corinthians 9.12. Paul says, this service that you perform, it's not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but it's also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Now, Paul is pretty quick to move on from this one, in part because I, I, I think it's the most obvious one. But he, he, the fact remains that without the generous giving of the Corinthians, the Christians in Judea were going to have unmet needs. Now, yes, God could have given, and I'm certain did give them the grace to be content with what they had, but still, Paul wants the Corinthians to remember that the more generously you give, the more needs will be met. Now, uh, I have intentionally uh, not spoken heaps about giving specifically to church throughout this series on purpose, uh, partly because church is not the only good thing for us to give to. But let me just say something quickly on this. Our ability to do ministry and mission as a church and make a difference in our city is directly proportional to our willingness to give to church and to support it. Right? The more generous the gift, the greater capacity we will have as a church to meet the physical and spiritual needs of the people in our city. And so, no, you don't have to give all your offerings to church. There's lots of really good things to give to. But I guess my, my encouragement to you, don't skimp out on church. And sometimes I kind of get a vibe that um, people will say things like, oh, look, church looks like they're kind of doing okay. Uh, so really, I'll, I'll give them a crumb or two, but I'm going to move most of my giving and put it over there. Look, at the end of the day, uh, as the Spirit leads is where you should give. But if you're excited by the vision, if you love this church, then let me encourage you to sow generously into the ministry here so that together we can reap an abundant harvest more needs being met with the gospel. Fifth, <clears throat> fifth and final harvest you can expect to reap from sowing generously is more prayer and affection. More prayer for you and affection. Uh, Paul finishes in 9.14, and in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Paul says the more generously you give, the more God will incline the hearts of those who receive your generosity to pray for you and be affectionate towards you. In some ways, I think this is a beautiful compliment to the comment I made before about not thanking people. Because, just to be clear, sometimes I do thank people. But, but some of the people hear, you know, you're not going to thank me? Like, what? do you just not see me? It's like, no, 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 no. That language that Paul uses there of their hearts going out to them Paul uses that language to describe his own converts, people he loves dearly, people he prays regularly for. It's often the same with those we give to. Whether it's giving to church or giving to missionaries or MTS trainees or student ministers, generous giving often creates a bond of love and prayerful affection among those who've been the recipients of our generosity. And the idea seems to be that the more generously you give, the more prayers for you, the more the bond of fellowship and affection grows. So there you go. What's the harvest 
we can expect to reap if we sow generously? Well, Paul says you can expect more grace to be content with what you have, more seed to sow generously to others, more thanksgiving and praise to God, more needs being met through our gifts, and more prayer and affection from those we support. As I close, I want to uh, put before you an opportunity to put all of this into practice and start to at least prepare to exercise that muscle of generosity. Uh, in next week's Vision Spot, I'm going to share uh, what under God we anticipate it's probably going to cost to pursue the mission and the vision here next year. And along with that, I'm going to invite our members and regular attenders to consider making a financial pledge to the work of the ministry next year. Um, as Matt said earlier, a financial pledge is basically what the Corinthians gave to Paul when they said they expressed their willingness to support the Christians in Judea. It's kind of a way of saying like I or we, with God's help and in his grace, uh, anticipate that we'd love to be able to support the ministry to this amount next year. That's important to stress, these pledges are voluntary. And so I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the... I'm kidding, guys. Come on, come on, come on. Just had to pop that anxiety. Uh, no, really, really they, they are voluntary. Uh, pledges in particular, uh, there's nowhere in the Bible that commands you to pledge. Uh, this is a voluntary thing. But I personally have always found it to be a helpful discipline. In some ways, just, it, it helps me to be a little accountable with my generosity. It just means uh, it, uh, it keeps me honest uh, and, and forces me in some ways to lean into the grace of God even when I'm tempted to give reluctantly or hold on to a bit more. Say, no, 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 this, this is good for me. And so please be praying about it. Uh, I'll tell you how to do it next week. We won't make all of next week about pledging, so don't worry. Uh, you'll have two weeks to do it, so no one's going to force anything on you. Um, but my prayer for us as a church, Grace City, is that, is that as we go about this, we would partake in it not reluctantly or under compulsion, but that, but that God might grow within us uh, a, a cheerful heart and that uh, he might give us the hyperbolic grace uh, to follow through and that we might taste the joy of being cheerfully generous. Well, join me and let's pray together. Lord God and Heavenly Father, we thank you for the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That though he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor. So that we, through his poverty, might become rich. We thank you for the grace that you have poured into the lives of all those here today who trust in your son Jesus Christ. And we ask, Lord, that you would help us to grow more and more into the likeness of your Son, including his generous heart. And so whether we find it easy to be cheerful or we find it hard, would you give us the grace to flex and train and put those muscles to work so that we can be your generous people. And we pray this in the name.